The reading today is Psalm 23. So if you want to find it, or I think it might be on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just adjust myself. Well, I'm so pleased and, and excited to be here with you, so thank you for inviting me. Um, some of you might not know me that well, um, so I thought I'd just start by introduction of some of the things that I really like, and um, I think it's kind of linked in with Psalm 23 and the Psalms in general. One of the things that I really like is going back, I'm, I'm Chinese, to Hong Kong, um, and the reason I, I love doing that is, is not because of the really weird food that's over there. Um, and it's not because um, um, everyone speaks the same language as, as what I grew up with and I feel really comfortable. It's because um, over here, I have to do this all the time. I have to look up to people. But when I go to Hong Kong, five foot five is average. And so I feel great when I'm out there. And, and I noticed something when I went there and, and, and I go back over time and notice something that happens to me is that um, when I'm here, I feel a little bit like this because everyone's so big. But when I'm over in Hong Kong, my body language and my actions change a little bit. In fact, when I go there and I see my family, they always turn to my mum or my dad and they go, wah, gom da jekka. I know, right? It's crazy. <laughs> now, I'll tell you what it means. It's, it's them going, oh, he's so big. Now, look at me. I'm not. But I feel it when I'm there. And, and it, it, it impacts the way that I behave. So, like I said, when I'm in the UK and I knock into somebody, I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry, I, I'm, I'm British, you're so big, and I'm, I'm looking like that. Uh, it affects how I, how I respond. But when I'm in Hong Kong, and I, everyone is average height, and I'm the same height, in fact, I'm a big boy, I walk down with a bit more of a strut, my chest puffs out a bit more. I bump into someone, and I'm not going, sorry, I'm like, watch out, big boy walking. And, and, and there's a bit of a danger there, because what I'm thinking is, oh, I am so big, but actually, no, I'm... I'm not. I, I'm really small. It's just I'm comparing myself to the wrong situation. And I, and I think for us, when we're looking at the Psalms, things that seem familiar, um, and we're looking at it and thinking about stuff, we can go, oh, and, you know, I, I know this stuff. I'm, I'm so big. It's so familiar with me, especially Psalm 23, a famous Psalm. It's in my head. Who needs to hear this? Actually, the person sat next to this. Who needs to hear this? Is, is my family members and my friends and others around me. And you can feel so big and not realize that the Psalm is pointing towards the goodness of Jesus. And actually, we all are so small and we are comparing ourselves to the wrong thing. So before I even start and get into it, can I encourage you just to, just to view this as something that might be familiar for a bunch of you, but is still the word of God and has a bucket load to teach us and challenge us, even if we've heard it for the hundredth time, because it is the word of God. It has a huge impact to us. And if we compare ourselves to the right person, to the one who is writing to us and speaking to us and alive, and it, it can impact and change us today. So let me pray, and then we'll get into this passage, if that's okay. Father, we thank you that um, 
because of your grace, because of your goodness, we can uh, um, get things wrong. We can think that we are so big. We can think that we are so great. And, and yet you don't just um, cut us off at the knees. You are kind and you are gracious. But God, would you humble us? Would you help us by your spirit to recognize that, that we are not um, people to look um, down on others and say they need to hear this, they need to uh, uh, respond to this. But Lord, would you help us to open up our hearts and, and say even if we have heard this psalm for a hundred times that it needs to speak to us, that your word is true today and it can impact our hearts and cause us to again view you as a good and wonderful God. Speak to us, we pray, not because um, we can expect it and, and, and feel entitled and require it, but because your word is true and because you are alive and reigning on high today. And so it's in the name of uh, your son that we pray. Please, would you impact us? And then we pray. Amen. So Pete and Malcolm have given your, this sermon series anthems, summer anthems to sing and to think about. You might be thinking, actually, hang on a minute. Psalms don't really fit in my mind with anthems. They're, they're kind of the things that, that seem like things that you would quote in run, wonderful little memes with like a lovely picture after it. It's the type of stuff that um, churches sing in, in lovely villages that they sing together. It's not something that you'd think of as an anthem that people would belt out or somebody's dancing to in a, in a field somewhere. Now, anthems might not seem like it's the right fit, especially a psalm like Psalm 23. It's so the Lord is my shepherd. You more, you more picture maybe the intro of the Vicar of Dibley and a lovely um, little choir going, the Lord is my shepherd. I hope that's not live streamed, but anyway. Um, something like that, or maybe a, a lovely quote, a picture of the Lake District and the sun setting and it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Or maybe in Presswich, a lovely picture of, of the water in the centre of Heaton Park and it goes, he leads me by still waters. The idea of it being a, an anthem, something that is celebrated and shouted out, is, is something that doesn't quite fit with, with, with what we, we think. Now, hear me, I don't think there's anything wrong with singing songs um, like, like choir boys or, or quoting those passages and seeing them. But the problem is if we just see those bits, if we make that assumption we come to Psalm 23, we've, we've not got the full picture. Um, this is the problem. In, the, in, in modern UK world, if we want to make a point, we stick it right at the beginning. That's why you have such catchy headlines like Ronaldo's going to Man City, maybe, and then Ronaldo's going to United. Ha, 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 ha. It's, you get a headline right at the beginning. Or maybe you get a BuzzFeed headline like 10 reasons why jam should go first on scones and then, and then cream. Number five will shock you. It's always at the beginning to rope you in. But that's not how the ancient Near East works. It's not how the literature in the Bible works. The main point is not right at the beginning. It's right in the middle. And so you'll see that it's talking about the Lord being our shepherd and all this goodness and wonderful kindness that he shows. But the main point is there in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then out of that middle point comes some wonderful things that we get to see. And so this is a psalm to bring great comfort, to refresh us, to make us think how wonderful God is. But this is also a psalm for the worst moments in your life, when the bottom falls out, when everything feels like it's going wrong. Look, we don't know when David wrote this psalm, but we can fairly say that David faced some dark times. He knows what anxiety is like and how it can spike as he literally ran away from murder attempts. He knows the disappointment and the crushing weight of sadness 
as he has to flee his job in his country like a refugee attacked by terrorists. He knows what it's like to be overwhelmed and to not be able to even get out of bed and, and want to cry and mourn as he buries his friends and family. And he knows what it's like to be betrayed deeply as his own son tries to murder him. It's fair to say that when he's talking about the valley of death, of darkness, David knows how that feels. David's got some understanding of what's there. And so when he's talking to us here and he's saying this is a psalm for tough times, this is a psalm for dark times, it's one to celebrate as well, but it, it can be applicable in all situations. I think it's true. I think he knows what he's talking about. And we'll see, but it actually points towards Jesus and his goodness. So as we go through this, we've got three points. Our three points are going to be, what does the sheep do? What does the shepherd do? And who is singing? And my hope is that we'll see that this takes us through all of the dark times. Let me go to point number one. What do the sheep do? Well, you see it there in verse 1, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. The sheep know their shepherd. They belong. All the blessings of the Christian life, the fullness of support, peace, and joy, are linked to this statement, the Lord is my shepherd. In fact, if you're geeky and you like data, there are six verses here, but there are 17 first-person pronouns. By that, I mean me, my, mine, that sort of word. What that's showing is a deep personal relationship. Look, I like Malk. He's great, and I'm really fond of him. And I love his kids. They're cute and they're lovely. But the words I use to describe Lila is she. She's so cute. I love my little boy as well, and, and he's mine. So I go, my boy is so cute. And it's just a slight different way in which I interact with Lila to the way in which I interact with Calvin. And isn't it wonderful that that is the way the Lord wants to interact with us? Not as somebody who knows us from a distance and is fond of us and likes us, but somebody who relates to us. But we are his. He is ours. We are, he's saying, my shepherd, my sheep. There is a relationship that is deep there. In fact, Jesus picks this up in John 10 when he says, the sheep listen to my voice and I know them by name. We want this relationship with God and it is available to us. But it's not just that the sheep know their shepherd, the sheep follow their shepherd. We see that in verses two and three. They lack nothing. They lie down. They are refreshed. Now, this again falls a bit flat for us because we live in Manchester. So we've got the whole headlines at the beginning thing, but we've also got the thing of none of us are really hanging out with sheep, are we? Let's be honest about this. Like, we live in Presswich, so, you know, like, there's loads of fancy coffee shops, lots of nice hipster vegan places for you to get stuff, but sheep, not so much. And so we don't really know what it takes to get a sheep to lie down or to calm itself down or to be happy. Um, there's a guy called Philip Keller who's really helpful here. He, was, he is a pastor, but before he was a pastor, he was a shepherd, and he makes a couple of points that really helps us. He says that sheep are naturally anxious animals and that it's really hard to get them to lie down. If you want to get them to lie down, to lack nothing, to feel refreshed, you need to do four things. You need to make sure that there is no harm facing them. You need to make sure that they have plenty of food. You also need to make sure that there are no relational issues, that they're not fighting against each other. Yeah, I know, there's a sheep hierarchy, apparently, but there you go, that's something that happens. We need to be aware of that. And finally, you need to make sure that also there are no physiological issues. Apparently, there's loads of diseases that can affect them and can get them. And if there 
any of those things aren't there, they will be anxious and it will be almost impossible to get them to lie down, to feel like they're lacking nothing, to feel refreshed. Aren't we like sheep in that situation? If I find that I am struggling with potential harm, struggling, if I get hangry, in fact, if, if, if I have some relational breakdown, if anything else is going on with me, I struggle to feel comfortable and to, to find my anxiety lifting, to feel like I lack nothing and to be close to God. And just being really honest with you, for me personally, my temptation, the biggest thing that I find myself doing in those situations that is unhelpful is running to being busy or running to something else to numb the situation, or running to escapism. And I think it's not just me. I think we all have some of that tendency in us. It's really interesting that actually during this lockdown, um, the impact of Netflix has been massive. In fact, at the point in the UK that we had to start our first lockdown, Netflix's input because it came so high that they had to downgrade the quality of their streaming because the demand was so high. Now, hear me, I'm not saying throw your TV away and then smash your phone. Uh, I, I, that's not my suggestion. But I'm just asking a question here. Do we find that when we are anxious, we try to escape into something else and to numb ourselves? It seems to be the data around us, and maybe that's something that we do, when the call here is that we can lie down like nothing and be refreshed by God. Jesus picks this up in Matthew 6 when he says, do not be anxious. But he doesn't just give good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The reason why we are called to not be anxious, to feel refreshed, to have our souls uplifted, is not because your situation is going to turn out perfect at the end of this sermon. It's because we have a good God who is committed to us in all situations. And even when things feel tough, we can follow him. We can lie down in green pastures. And as we see in verse 4, we can be led by him through the valleys of the shadow of death. Isn't that funny that the last point is that we follow, but the temptation is to not follow God through the valleys of the shadow of death, to not follow God through the difficulties that would be there. But actually, it's a promise that we will face tough times. And the right thing is to trust God as he leads us through those things. Fear is a real spiritual enemy. It will take us away from God. But David is saying, even though I walk through, not if I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death. And so when we think about our situations, it's good for us to just, again, remember that uh, our source of comfort is not financial stability. Our source of comfort is not everything working out. Our source of comfort is not entitlement. It is only from God. Now, that's the stuff the sheep do. Let's just have a quick chat about what does the shepherd do. Well, verse 3 shows us that the shepherd guides his sheep. The shepherd needs to guide his sheep because the sheep are vulnerable and they make silly decisions. I don't know if any of you have watched recently, but there's a show called um, Clarkson's Farm. And it's Jeremy Clarkson, the guy who loves driving and is always about automobiles and he's funny um, talking, trying to be a farmer. And, and some of the things that sheep do on that is just hilarious. There's a bit where the sheep is just standing on the edge and it just, it, it's just, and it falls over. And it, you're just like, what are you doing? Why are you standing on the edge trying to fall over? Why would you do that? There is literally a field behind you of pl plenty of things that are good. But, but that's what sheep do. They like to play risks. And apparently that's what kids do as well. And, and maybe that's what we like to do at times. And we need someone to guide us because, let's face it, like sheep, we make silly decisions. But it's not just that the shepherd guides the sheep. Verse 4 tells us that the shepherd 
comforts and protects his sheep. Yes, we are led through dark valleys. We are led through painful and difficult things. But there is God's rod and his staff. The rod being a weapon and the staff being something that guides and helps us. Now, you might think, why would you need a weapon? Couldn't God be loving and kind? But it's, it's that description of how God is a threat, not to you, but to others, and it's safe to be with him. C.S. Lewis picks that up really helpfully when he explains in that Chronicles of Narnia, when he's describing Aslan, a picture of God, that he is not safe, but he is good. And we get that throughout the Old Testament, this description that the fear of the Lord is the start of all wisdom and understanding. That the right response to God is that he isn't safe, but he's good. He is powerful. He's not to be messed with. But at the same point, it is reverence and goodness of knowing his character that lets us go close to him. And we see that even in Jesus. He is kind, loving, generous, sacrificial, dies on the cross for us. But even though he spent all this time with his disciples, when he rises from the grave and when he sees John again in Revelation 1, what happens? John, his disciple, who's followed him for ages, who is described as the one who loves Jesus and is close to him, falls flat on his face. And Jesus has to say, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. In our struggles, when things feel tough and difficult, there is nowhere that I'd rather be, I'm sure there's nowhere you, if you think about it, all the way through, would rather be even with a God like that, a shepherd like that who's able to lead us through dark places and is in control in all things. Now, we've done this. We've walked into the valley of death from comfort, from being led into happiness, into the middle point of this passage, the key point, darkness and, and difficulty. The shepherd doesn't just leave us there, though. The shepherd then prepares a table Seems a bit of an odd thing to describe, doesn't it? Well, the idea of being a banquet host, of having a table prepared, is something that makes, makes its way all the way through the Bible. And in John 14, Jesus is about to die, and he talks about the table. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven, my father's house. And he is quoting, he's pointing back to this passage. He's saying that the way in which we get to be with God forever, the way in which we get led out from darkness, the way in which we get to be right with God and have any sort of real hope when the bottom falls out of life is because Jesus is about to die for us. He's pointing to this passage. He prepares a place for us by being rejected. He calls us into the table by being betrayed by us. He invites us to have bread by having his body broken. And he gives us wine that we can enjoy forever by having his blood poured out for us. The shepherd prepares a table, and then the shepherd, verse 6, invites us. Gospel, isn't it? There's the leading in from lovely situations into dark times, but then being led out from something that is terrible into the deepest joy that you could ever know. The joy of knowing him, of feasting, and of celebrating. Can I say one of the things that I really love um, as I've just come in, I've only been with you for, what, a couple of hours? But one of the things that seems to stand out about your culture, Trinity, is that you, have, you seem to celebrate fairly well, that you are happy to be around each other. And there seems to be this, this culture that we are happy to be around God and his goodness. And, and can I commend you? That's such a wonderful thing to see, of a culture of just going, it is good 
to celebrate the goodness of God. It is good to, as we see here, feast and to look forward to the wonderful things that will come going forward. Isaiah 55 picks this up when it says, Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. It's there in the Old Testament. And then it's there in Jesus' ministry. The first thing he does when he starts to work is he turns water into wine. And then he gives parable after parable of being invited to a feast. And at the end of the Bible in Revelation, we get that wonderful picture of all of us, the bride of Christ, being led down to enjoy Jesus forever as our groom in a wonderful wedding feast. Throughout the Bible, we are invited to a feast, a celebration, something that we get to enjoy, that brings a smile to our face, that wells up emotion in us that we do not deserve. It does not mean that we need all the truth of the gospel and the truth of the Bible there, but it is that that comes alongside the truth of how our emotions should feel and they match up together in a celebration of a feast. And it's because we have a wonderful, generous host who loves us and it is foreshadowing for us. It gives us hope to the union with God that we'll have forever. Now, all of that is information, what the sheep do, what the shepherd does. How does that impact us today? For some of us who are just doing fine, just ticking on, how does that impact some of us who are not doing so well and really, really struggling? How does that deal for some of us who are really happy and, and, and just full of joy? Well, let's ask who's singing in this passage again. Obvious answer is David, right? He has written this. Um, but he's foreshadowing Jesus in all that he does. So there is David singing this song, but there's also Jesus. You see that in Psalm 22 in particular, which is really famous, where it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very words that Jesus quotes as he's on the cross. But you get it here as well. David's doing it again in Psalm 23. He's foreshadowing Jesus, the perfect man who walks through all the worst of life, all that humanity has done wrong, all the wrath of God for our sin and death. And somehow he gets through it. Jesus is the great king who prays to God, who walks through the valley of death for us and invites us to a great feast. And Jesus does this for us. So there is David singing this song. There is Jesus singing this song. And actually, there is us singing this song too. This song allows us to process the wonderful situations when we feel like we are by green pastures and we are so happy and feel close to God and everything feels wonderful. This song also allows us to stand in the valleys of the shadow of death when the bottom feels like it's fallen out of the, our, our lives and everything has gone wrong because in Jesus' name we can trust him. As we sing through our fears, as we sing through our wonderful situations, it is as though we are putting our hand in Christ's and he leads us through the dark valleys and leads us back to life in God to know that someday we will be reunited with him and be able to feast with him forever. This is Jesus' path, because he died on the cross for us, didn't he? He faced darkness, and this is the path that we get to enjoy too. It's like as though we can read what David was praying and singing, and it's the very things that maybe Jesus took and read as he drew away in the mornings. Maybe this is actually a description of what Jesus' prayer journal is, is, to allow us to see how he would sing and how he would engage with God. Do you see how the Psalms are such a huge privilege for us to open up? And it's worth looking over and engaging with again and again. They allow us to know truth, but then to process it. 
So when you say as a Christian, maybe that you've um, been walking with God for 10, 15, 20 years, and you're saying, I don't feel it, I don't feel close to God, there is an opportunity for us to read truth and then to allow it to impact how we are feeling as well, that the two might match up and that we might draw close to God in that way. They allow us to sing of God's love and his goodness, for us to almost live out that bit in Romans 8, where it says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We can interact in that way. Look, I'll I'll finish with this final example. Um, I wanted to pick something that was... um, real and true and something that was experienced. So uh, my, my wife, Claire, um, grew up in India. Um, and, and there she um, had a wonderful upbringing. But there was some dark situations, some dark points in life that, that happened out there. Um, and there's one particular one that you might have even heard of, of, of a family called um, Graham and Gladys Staines. He and his wife um, served the colony um, stuck out, struck with leprosy out in India. Um, and Graham and his wife, Gladys, had three kids. Um, and, and they went to the same school as Claire. They all played together. They all hung out. Um, it was quite a nice little thing. They're a cute little family, that, that's fair. Um, and as all Mish kids, they kind of just, you know, um, w- would spend time together. On the 22nd of January, 1999, Graham went to a jungle camp a little way out of Uti, a little way out from the school. Um, and he took his two boys with him, and all three of them um, slept in the car that night. Um, but the first thing you need to know about India is there's some parts of it that are incredibly welcoming, and there are some parts that can become a little bit tribal. And this area that um, Graham was in was tribal, and a mob of 50 people that night came with axes and attacked the car whilst the two boys were in the car. And um, they set the car on fire and trapped the family in there. So all three of them were killed and burnt to alive. Graham burnt to death for his faith in Jesus, and his two boys, too, um, suffering incredible agony because they wanted to follow Jesus and to serve him. Incredible dark times. And they left behind a mum and a daughter who had to pick up the pieces, not knowing what to do, and who you would probably say, be fair enough if they were bitter and sad and angry at the things in India, and maybe even for a time at God. Here's the thing that seems crazy and and, and ridiculous to me, something that I don't know I could do. Um, Gladys and her daughter Esther chose to forgive those men who had murdered their husband and their sons. In fact, um, Gladys says this, I cannot express how I felt when I got the news of my husband and sons being burnt alive. I told my daughter Esther that, we would, that though we had been left alone, we would forgive. And my daughter replied, yes, we will. Now, if you just park it there, then it's just duty. It's stuff that we should do. We've read Psalm 23. We've, we, we've heard how good God is. We need to be good. Let's do that more. But then um, Gladys says another bit that's really helpful to us just at the end of this. It's, she says, it is Jesus who is the source of every consolation and support. God gives us strength to to carry our cross and to live in his will. Our life and our work here on earth has to go on according to his holy will. You see, even though that is incredibly eloquent and really thought through and written in a lovely way, the point is not, I need to do this because it's my duty. I need to do that because that's what good Christians do. I will forgive because the Christian world is watching and I, I, 
and I'm going to be taken for an interview, it's because of how good our God is in leading us through the darkest valleys. Look, that's probably a situation that many of us won't face, something that dark and that rough. But I don't want to minimize what's going on in your life at the moment. Some of you in a room like this will be going through horrible times. And the fact is that anything that happens to us is not meaningless. Anything that happens to us still allows us to draw close to God and to experience how he went through the darkest things for us. And actually, he will lead us out of those to be able to enjoy him and engage him forever. It is the only thing that gives meaning to suffering. If you trust in Buddhism and just try to wish away your difficulties, there's no meaning to that. If you trust in Islam and you work hard to get through those tough times, I don't think unless you are perfectly successful, there's deep meaning to that. If you just do the modern thing and just go, there is no meaning to your suffering, well, then that can cause you to spiral and struggle even more. But if you follow the Christian path of knowing that Christ has suffered for us, that he has experienced everything that we have, in fact, worse than the worst thing that could happen to us, and he does it because he loves us, he does it with a view of bringing us to him so we can feast with him forever, then there is hope that cannot be ripped from you, even if the worst thing in your life was to happen. So that means that today, if you have a lovely day, and you are feeling close to God and you are led by green pastures, you get to celebrate with God in a wonderful, meaningful way. It also means that if everything has gone wrong and it is the worst you could imagine, these are still summer anthems that you can sing. These are still things that lift up your eyes towards God because in our tears and in our sorrow, there is great meaning in a God who has given everything to us. This is why we get to sing in dark times. It reminds us of the goodness of our shepherd, the call to enjoy his leadership, to follow him as he draws us to be with him forever. Let me pray and then we can respond to that. Father, we thank you that, that something is, that is so familiar to us, a sound that we can hear time and time again, Uh, can be something that can um, remind us, that can draw us to the gospel again if we see what Jesus has done, if we see his character and his goodness for us, if we recognise that that table is being prepared for us, if we recognise that someday every single tear from our eyes will be wiped away and we will feast with you forever. And God, we ask that in the meantime, would you give us a purpose? Would you draw us close to you? Would you let us take responsibility for our lives and try our best to love and engage with you as possible? Would you help us by the power of your spirit to go out and to show others, to draw them in to see how wonderful and how good you are because we have seen how every other solution doesn't work. But when we see Jesus and what he has done, we do find meaning and there is goodness to that. Please, Would you help us to celebrate more your goodness, to look towards you and to praise you by the power of your spirit? It's in your name we pray. Amen.